1: 2020 starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York's snowy Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, David Seberg, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, crypto carnage. Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin all getting smoked today. And a major Bitcoin exchange could be to blame. We've got all the details. Plus, it is the moment everyone on Twitter has been waiting for, actually screaming for, Brad Garlinghouse, the CEO of Wall Street's favorite coin, Ripple, will answer the one question on everybody's mind. When will Ripple be added to Coinbase? You won't want to miss his answer. And later, Disney's magic moment, the company gearing up for a big shareholder meeting tomorrow. What will CEO Bob Iger say about the Fox deal? We've got the inside scoop, but first... We start off with the markets, a big reversal today, the Dow rallying into the close, ending down just 82 points after falling nearly 350 points at the lows of the session. But while everyone was paying attention to all the DC chaos and latest comments about a trade war, quietly one area of the market could be flashing a major warning sign. That would be crude. Tanking 2% today, oil has been a leading indicator for stocks in the past three months. Take a look at the chart. And two of the biggest energy names out there, Exxon and Chevron, have been, well, in the gutter. Exxon hitting a 52 week low today after hitting a 52 week high just a few weeks ago. So is this a warning sign for the broader markets?
2: Guys, I, I, I think there are a lot of warning signs. I don't think this is particularly a warning sign. I think this is just, to be honest with you, I think this is just Exxon and Chevron specific. I mean, major, the big integrated name specific. I'll say this. If you look at Exxon Mobil, and we've said this for quite some time, it's in a two and a half, three year downtrend that we said would culminate around 89 and a half. And look where it traded up to earlier this year and look where it failed at. I think at a certain point, valuation is going to get compelling. They're making the move, I think, from crude to chemicals, which I think is smart. They said they'll double earnings by 20, I think 25 or so, which is seven or eight years from now, which sounds impressive, not that much. But, again, if they're making the turn in their business at 15 times earnings at the current levels, maybe it gets interesting right here. Interesting. Yeah,
3: I agree. I think Exxon was very specific to, to sort of commentary coming out of their call. I mean, they talked about CapEx being ramped up significantly. And, look, these integrateds it's really all about the dividend and returning cash to shareholders. They didn't really outline a buyback plan. They didn't really outline their, uh, uh, you know, from a dividend perspective. You look at Royal Dutch. Royal Dutch is a 6% dividend yield. I look at Royal Dutch versus an Exxon here, and I think if you're going to invest, I'd prefer Royal Dutch.
1: But is a two percent move on WTI is that that's not because of Exxon? It's not a specific story. It well, makes, think, is it a broader tell. Go ahead, go ahead.
4: Well, I, I mean, if you it depends. Why do you own Exxon? Do you want oil exposure? If you look at the correlation between Exxon and oil, there's a lot of other ways to play it. The correlation is really not that good. I mean, as Guy said, they're getting they have significant exposure to chemicals, and so that's relevant. But I also think that. It's not so, The dividend part, to me, isn't enough. I think with rates rising, a 4% yield could quickly become not worth it if other things happen so oil comes in because they're a high cost pro, marginal high-cost producer. I feel like there's additional downside from that. So I wouldn't own it for the dividend. I wouldn't own it for pure oil exposure. The broader question, though, is why is oil down today? And does that
1: tell us anything bigger about either the global economy or even the U.S. economy and, and put in the, the fear about tariffs? Does that slow no,
5: growth? Look, I, I think oil's down for a couple of reasons. First of all, there's a massive conference this week in, in Houston, the mm-hmm. Sarah Conference, Cambridge Energy. This has uh, got all the major players, including Saudi Aramco. Uh, in fact, there was some expectation that Saudis uh, and OPEC were really going to have a sit-down with U.S. Shell producers, and there was going to be some meeting of the minds that was going to at least give Saudi the, the, the pathway to get the Aramco out of the way. Hasn't really happened. Um, and what's disappointing about oil, uh, I'll take that side of it, is think of the weakness in the dollar over the last couple months, and oil has not broken out at a time we've been ratcheting up global growth stories. Meanwhile, the supply-demand dynamics in oil I think are actually very well balanced. We had some bad API numbers yesterday, um, but I, I do think that oil uh, largely has traded very well during a difficult time for the market. It's below the 50-day, and it, you know when it fell below the 50-day, it hadn't really been there since uh, kind of the June move. But I don't think What you're saying that oil is an indictment, and these guys are totally correct. Exxon, um, as Paul Sankey, I quote him because he says, we love Exxon as a company. We hate it as a stock, and I think that's right. This is a company that's going to spend a lot more on CapEx in the next three years. As David said, Uh, they say they're going to get to five million barrels a day. They've been totally wrong on their guidance, and I don't think Exxon's terribly cheap here.
1: So then, what did you make of the whipsaw yeah. action? In the and
3: I think a lot of it. If you look back in, the, in what Carter's been talking about from a technical perspective, oil crude looked like it was going to pull back technically. So the setup there wasn't necessarily set up, you know, well for, for crude. Look, I, in general today, I look at it and say the way the market sort of reacted, I, I look at it and say we have to wait for a Fed all clear signal before we can get really aggressive here on the buy side and adding fed to all our longs. Federal clear signal fed would al- be what? Fed all clear. So, so look, we're going to get we're going to hear about you know whether or not tariffs are going through, whether or not there's going to be exemptions with Mexico. Or- Exemptions with Canada, we'll hear that very soon. Market probably rallies, knee-jerk reaction off that, but I think then we need to hear more clarity about Fed, what the Fed's sort of plan is. We have obviously a meeting coming up, and sort of what their well, their sort of game plan is. Well, going then forward. the end
1: of this week is going to be a big yeah, one, payroll isn't numbers it? are big, Payrolls right? Are exactly, big, absolutely,
5: because it was it was February second when and that. And we'll get some clarity number. on trade by the end of the week. So you pair them together and. Maybe I think so, but but again, remember what the market's been doing over the last few days. It's actually either being led by rates moving higher or it's at least been rallying along with rates. So at some point, I I think people have gotten also comfortable. We've gotten a handle on really 10-year yields – Um, And I've been concerned. I'll put myself out there as someone that's expressed concern about where inflation is behind the curve. But 10-year yields, if you look at the forward curve and if you look at where the dynamics are on the deficit, um, I don't think that 10-year yields right here and now can move a lot higher. I think they're going higher. But I think the market has taken some time to get comfortable with this. And, again, we've been flat on the 10-year if you look at a 285 to 288 for a month
4: with, with a lot of good data. If we have
1: tariffs, though, and yeah. there aren't carve-outs, and tariffs are inflationary, does that 10-year mm-hmm. yield get a bump higher?
4: Yes, I think it gets a bump higher. I mean, you can come up with a few scenarios. If sure. that doesn't happen, and people are, you know, feel more comfortable and spend, and the economy does well, we're going higher that way. The other way also wouldn't be nearly as good. I agree with Tim. I'm not concerned about the 10-year so much. If we have a the procedure sort of that the Fed has laid out, which is three, right. maybe four hikes is there. Maybe. And them getting, you know, shrinking the balance sheet. As long as we don't have a big spike, that's what I'm concerned about.
2: I think the data suggests there should be four hikes this year, and I am concerned about that. I mean, that is the wild card that nobody talks about. It's fascinating to me that the VIX trades down to 17 and a half and basically closes on the low of the day, discounting all the things that we basically talked about. I do think in this environment, the VIX is too cheap, but you can't dismiss the price action today of the broader market. It was pretty impressive.
1: Right. Well, big oil stocks, not the only ones weighing on the markets today. Two big Dow darlings also suffering on talks of an impending trade war. We're talking about Boeing and Caterpillar, once the ultimate Dow couple. Both are now 7 and 12% off their 52-week highs as a result of Trump's tariff announcement. Our next guest is more trouble ahead. Let's go off the charts with Robert Slimer of Funstrat. Good to see you.
6: Hey, Melissa. Thanks very much. So the exercise here is to take a look at uh, Boeing and Caterpillar, and then maybe we can compare it to something else that looks a little bit more timely. So there's a couple of points here. You know, we talk about the bull market being nine years old this week, but it's really not the case for the majority or many of the stocks. In fact, we had a major cycle low right around these 2016, uh, early 2016. So from a cycle standpoint, we're still pretty early. Yeah, Boeing's had a little bit of volatility here. It looks very much like the market. In fact, it is the market profile coming off those 2016 lows. Look at this. This relative performance here, flat for almost all the way through until we got to 2016 and and now starting to emerge. The 200-day is substantially below. It could waffle and trade around here for a while. But I think the key point and what we don't want to lose focus on is this is a stock that's had a big run and it's in a period of consolidation. It's not a breakdown at this point, so be very cautious getting overly negative. So let's take a look at Caterpillar. It's the same sort of setup. You have a name that put in a big cyclical low in 2016 after peaking back in 14. that's a pretty big bear market. We've had a big run, and now we're getting a bit of a consolidation above that 200-day moving average. It's not a major breakdown. I think a lot of these stocks that we're seeing that have had big runs are showing periods of just consolidating and pausing. And we see that same sort of performance in, that relative, in, the, in the relative strength. However... Where do we want to be looking? So financials have been one of the areas, in addition to technology, that are starting to emerge. If we go back to 2011 and 2012 on a lot of the financials, that's where they put in their relative performance low. Here's that 2016 low again. Here's that relative strength starting to pick up. And if you look at something like Goldman, it's just been in a period of consolidation on a relative basis. It's lagged many of the leaders in in the financial sector, but it's still pretty timely in here big trading range isn't that extended so if you put it in the context of a much broader portfolio we've got leadership in tech a lot of extended software names still driving to new highs we have industrials that are going through a period of consolidation many of the financials are working i think this is an excellent name to be looking to diversify a portfolio and it's still a pretty timely name that, that's not stretched all
1: right uh, robert's going to come on over yes, yes. yes. bring him on over yeah. going bring the chair over
6: Thank you, Karen. welcome, guys. Um,
1: So you like Goldman? How does it compare to the other financials?
6: So great question. If you look at uh, the exchanges, which have been the dominant leadership Mm -hmm. in the financials, they look very much like tech tech stocks. Then if we look at a lot of the other brokers, Morgan Stanley, E-Trade, Schwab, they've had big runs. They're great stocks. They're leading the sector. I think that's where you want to be. But Goldman's a laggard. I think it's an interesting name at current levels.
2: Goldman's definitely the laggard. But what about like JP Morgan, for example, trades probably at a premium to the space. The stock is, know, my, my contention is always this. A stock that stays at an all-time high for a period of time, market doesn't allow you that long a period to sell the highs, which
6: means, by definition, it's going higher. Right, great point. So we can even extend that argument to technology where we have all these software names that have run in service stocks. The market was very good. Coming off the lows in February, going back to the old leadership. So a name like J.P. Morgan, you could say the same thing about Bank of America. Those are the leaders. But if you're looking for names and you're a little nervous about stretching for stocks, again, I'm going to come back. I think one by one, you see more and more financials start to improve and base and start to break out. I think Goldman's the name.
1: You mentioned the old leadership, and in your presentation, you said over overextended software companies. Well, Are they due advanced. for a fall?
6: Well, I think that you've seen, if we look at technology as a whole, you have software and services, sort of secular leadership, does well in an environment when you get concerned about the cyclical backdrop, backdrop the economy. And when you look at uh, semiconductors, for example, they peaked out in November, went through 25% corrections. And name, fresh highs. And fresh highs. And I was concerned about them. They, when I think it was on the show last time, some of these names were wobbling. You got corrections. And now they're resuming leadership. So tech in general is, is still uh, driving its leadership. Software, I think it's dominant leadership. Names like Activision and, and uh, Electronic Arts all starting to move out of these big trading ranges. I think they're still timely.
1: All right, Robert, thank you. Thank you. Good to see you. Robert Slimer, a fun strat. Uh, Tim, what did you do today?
5: Uh, I didn't do much. I've been nibbling back into emerging markets, and I have to say that I I nibbled a fair amount yesterday and and thought maybe I'd nibbled too soon. But but I I love the price action, and... A lot of the riskier markets out from the S&P are trying to break through the the, the 50-day. And, in fact, I thought today's price action was incredibly constructive. Starting to also add back to things like SEMEX, which had a bad bad run. But commodities names and resource names, we talked about that. I'm not worried about this weakness. If anything, inflation means they're going higher.
4: Karen, you? I didn't do anything today. I'd love to say I bought a lot of stuff at the bottom. I was nowhere close to buying anything on the bottom. I'm kind of concerned about this. I mean, I'm happy to see, you know, the FANG stocks do well, Google, Facebook. Those are big positions. Banks are big positions. Happy to see them come back. But I wasn't dying to get in there and get longer today.
3: I think it's very difficult right now for me to put long exposure on. I do like Boeing, however. I think the pullback in Boeing, based on the fact that aluminum prices are going to ratchet up and it's going to impact their profitability. Last year, uh, aluminum ran 30%, and it didn't have a meaningful impact on their profitability or visible impact on it. So I like Boeing here. I took a, took a shot there and bought some.
2: We've been talking about chips now for a while. You've had this stealth rally in Micron. I mean, stocks are from 41 to close, I think, at a 52-week higher. They're about today 54.5, 55. And i got to tell you something. The tech stocks, specifically some of these, uh, these... I can't speak today, and I apologize. Chip names continue yeah. to go higher. Sorry, folks. All right. Before we had words, to break, way, <laughs> no, I, got,
1: I lost Sorry, my you know? voice. I'm like a mess. <laughs> before we had to break, we should note that CNBC's Becky Quick will be sitting down with the Exxon CEO tomorrow. That's on Squawk Box, and that starts at 6 a.m. Coming up, crypto carnage. Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin all tanking today after the SEC issued a brand new warning for the space. But one of the traders says it could be the best buying opportunity of the year. We'll tell you why. Plus, it is the moment everyone on Twitter has been waiting for. The Ripple CEO sitting down with Brian Kelly with some shocking words about a potential Coinbase listing. For all you haters out there, the interview is real. It's spectacular. We'll bring it to you right after the break. You're watching Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq Market Site on a snowy Thursday. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. You know who's happy together? Those two guys right there, Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg, smiling together as both Facebook and Twitter. TODAY, AND THAT KICKS OFF FOR TOP TRADES. TWITTER SOARING NEARLY 4% TO A MULTI-YEAR HIGH, WHILE FACEBOOK WAS UP 2%. WHICH OF THESE SOCIAL CLIMBERS IS THE BETTER BET RIGHT NOW? IT'S ALMOST LIKE THAT GAME THAT WE USED TO PLAY. What we play? What's Would game? You IT'S you BEEN SO rather. LONG. WOULD YOU
5: RATHER? Yes. <laughs> Feels so
3: good. Uh, you know, I kind of, like right now, like I, Facebook, I've always been a long-time bull on this story. I took a little off the table. I think there's a little, it's a little concerning just based on them cleaning up their news feed. For me, I think it could have an impact on profitability for them. So I'm watching that one. Twitter, I don't understand it. I mean, again, hedge funds love this name for some reason. I see it on the desk. I talk to people all day long. I just don't understand the fascination with this story right now. It's not going to get taken over. There's not a buyer out there at this multiple Wait, but how do you in media or in technology. It doesn't make any sense to me to be where it is, and,
5: and it hasn't made sense to a lot of people. And yet the stock is here. They're not necessarily growing their subscriber base. No. MAUs are being questioned every day, right. and yet. And I don't think the stock is where it is because of subscri- because of a takeout. I think the stock is where it is because people love the service. People spend our, the engagement on Twitter probably never been higher for the real users, and that people know that they're going to get it right. And if anything. This is how news is being disseminated. I, I love the name. I'm long it. And I, 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 you know, I can't uh, tell you, I, uh, I can't explain why mm-hmm. the stock is making this move because the last quarter's numbers were excellent. They showed profitability, but that's not enough to, to have moved the stock.
4: And you're still just as long on Facebook? Uh, yeah, just a lot of, I'm bigger in Google, but yeah, Facebook. I'm sort of with David. I, I can't say that I think there's a huge amount of upside here, which wouldn't make me want to sell Facebook and put it into Twitter. Right. Facebook's Not being done to
5: do that since July of last year. Let's right. be clear about this. At a time when the NASDAQ yeah. is ripped and mm. you've seen the Qs go to the moon and, and anything that at least has been associated with global tech, Facebook's sideways, sideways since July.
2: I remember, we remember having a conversation saying, you know, if, Facebook, if Twitter gets this correct, their business, Yeah. they'll hope nobody buys them out at a $25 a share. I mean, we had that conversation. Now, here we are at 35 dollars 5 a share. To Tim's point, not just last quarter, the last couple quarters have been pretty good. In my opinion, it's never been about MAUs at all. It's about the service itself. So you could say it's expensive on valuation, which it is, but I do think that there is a moat, and I think they finally started to figure it out. All right.
1: Still ahead, Bob's big day. I'll mm. move. The Disney CEO taking the stage at the company's annual shareholder meeting tomorrow. What will he say about the Fox deal? We've got some clues. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money and CNBC First in Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast.
7: The last time Tim pitched a stock, it rallied 20% in six months. Now he says he's found an even better stock. He'll give you the name. Plus, BK. Ripple CEO, Brad Garlinghouse. And the question that will send the Twitter auntie into therapy. How important is partnering with somebody like Coinbase? The answer when Fast Money returns.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Cryptocurrency is tanking today after a one-two punch from a major Bitcoin exchange and the SEC. Seema breaking down the details for us. Seema.
0: Hey, Melissa, Bitcoin trading down nearly 10% other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum and Litecoin also under pressure as the SEC takes aim at cryptocurrency exchanges, saying its staff has concerns that many online trading platforms appear to investors as SEC regulated when they are not. It's seen as yet another attempt by regulators to crack down on initial coin offerings that use unregulated exchanges to raise funds. And also, it puts stronger focus on the exchanges themselves, like Bitfinex and Binance. Speaking of Binance, unusual activity at the popular cryptocurrency exchange got a lot of people talking today. Binance denied it got hacked. CEO tweeting, some accounts have been compromised by phishing. We are still investigating. All funds are safe. Before trading digital assets, SEC's Division of Enforcement and Trading is recommending investors to do some digging. First off, check to see if the platform you're using to trade tokens is registered. Also, view FINRA's broker check website about any individuals or firms operating the platform. Take note of how the exchange safeguards customer information. That, of course, is key, Melissa.
1: All right, Seema, thank you. Seema Modi. (laughs) Uh, Well, we couldn't survive the crypto carnage without our own crypto baller. Brian Kelly joins us from San Francisco. Didn't quite make it back because of this weather back here. But um, BK, what would you make of the sell off today?
7: Well, you know, it's it's funny. Seema mentioned Binance. And to me, that was really the big news here is what happened with that is all the uh, quants that hook into this, they found that some of their positions were automatically executed. And so it was just a wave of selling that came in almost like a flash crash in some sense. So I would kind of call this crypto's flash crash. And then on top of it, you had the SEC come out with these guidelines, which in the long run, I view as extremely bullish. I mean, you know, they could have come and just shut down exchanges. But they said, listen, you, these exchanges, if you're trading securities, need to be registered, just like anything else. So they took the, the regular regulations that we have today and just applied them to this market.
1: So you think it'll sort of um, make it safer for investors, make them feel safer and more willing to trade?
7: Yeah, I think so. This is the natural uh, progression and natural maturation of this market. You know, just because it's Bitcoin or just because it's crypto doesn't mean that the rules don't apply to it. And, I, you know, listen, this is a global market. It's a global asset subject to local regulation. So if you're in the U.S., you, need, you are subject to that local regulation. And I think that'll make it better for the ecosystem as a whole.
1: So you see, you know, crypto go down 10% pretty much across the board today. Did you buy anything? I mean, at what point do you see there being value for
7: you? I, I think, you know, if you look at—I didn't buy anything today because I'm fully long. Uh, if I had some cash, I probably would have bought some Bitcoin right here. I think there's probably value in the currencies in terms of there's going to be less uncertainty about whether or not they are securities. And so by that, I mean Bitcoin and Monero and Litecoin, things that are used as medium as of exchanges some of the other currencies uh, that may be subject to SEC regulation might not do as well over the next, you know, three months or so.
4: BK, hi, it's Karen. Let me ask you something. When you think about the universe of owners of Bitcoin and all the cryptocurrencies, how does that divide up between the people who don't want to have, you know, anything related to the government and we need a totally different currency versus the growing group that is, you know what, there's a new asset class and you need to have some allocation of your portfolio in that,
7: yeah, it's it's shifting. There is still a big portion of the cryptocurrency community that are, are big, what they call whales in this community, uh, that own a lot because they have a philosophical belief that they should have, they should own money and it shouldn't be part of the government. However, as institutions come in and say, you know what, this is an asset class, uh, you are seeing that shift. So I can just tell you from my experience, the institutions that I'm seeing now are are family offices, fund of funds. Uh, there are no pensions or, or anybody like that in yet, but they're looking at it. So that'll that'll slowly shift. I think percentage-wise, you're probably less than 10% of institutional ownership in this space.
5: Hey, Brian, it's Tim. We talk a lot about technicals on this show, and you're just talking about the fundamental rationale while guys are in the space, and they've been in the space, and they're going to stay in the space. But, you know, if you look at the chart on Bitcoin, it actually looks at technically—it um, could— might want to go a little bit lower. How much are guys following the technicals, at least in a Bitcoin, as a headline for the whole asset class? Yeah, technicals are big. First of all, and, and you're right, Tim, Bitcoin
7: leads this entire market. So and technicals are very big. The kids in this place call it T.A., technical analysis. Um, wow. And so, you know, Our somewhere around edge. this 10,000 levels is important. Yeah, that's that's some slang for you. <laughs> It's not FUD. I was wondering what TA was. TA. That's
5: yeah. kind of a hard one, yeah. right? no, I mean, Let's not go there, guys. I mean, See? only a
1: crypto oh. baller would know TA. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Thank God for
2: that. No, I don't have no I idea. Should, what you're I should have about. a
1: dictionary. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys
4: bought more, by the way? Here mm-hmm. on the desk. No, 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 I've been, I've but no. Why you not? Know, BK is managing my crypto portfolio. So you trust, an extraordinary trust in BK. job. I, I trust in T-I-B-K. BK. TIBK. Yeah, TIBK. I, there you know go. what?
5: I, I own Ethereum, <laughs> right. uh, and I and I own a little bit of a of a basket of currencies. But you know, to me, uh, I still think there is a lot of uncertainty. I think the regulators are going to do something here, and it doesn't mean they destroy the asset class in any right. way. In fact, as Brian's talking about, ultimately, this is validation. I'm I'm not adding here.
7: All right. Well, Beeks, we'll see you in a few minutes. That sounds good. Good to see you. I've got Uh, the Golden Gate right behind me, so I'll be back.
1: I see. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he will be back because he's got the interview with the CEO of Ripple that has set the crypto world on fire. We will hear what the CEO of Ripple has to say about the crypto crush and just how bad he thinks his company needs Coinbase. Plus, will Disney CEO Bob Iger bring the magic? The media giant gearing up for its annual shareholder meeting tomorrow. There is one thing every investor is waiting to hear. We'll tell you what that is. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. A mouse, a fox, and a major shareholder meeting tomorrow could have big implications for Dow Component
8: Disney. For more on what to expect, let's get to Julia Borson in Los Angeles. Hi, Julia. Hey, Melissa. Well, when Bob Iger takes the stage at Disney's annual shareholder meeting happening in Houston tomorrow morning, he's likely to do a victory lap with Black Panther, which is breaking all sorts of records. But the real question investors will be thinking about is what kind of insight he'll give into Disney's pending acquisition of Fox. On the agenda for the meeting tomorrow is electing the board's 10 directors, including two newcomers, Safra Katz and Frances D'Souza, replacing Sheryl Sandberg and Jack Dorsey. There are also two shareholder proposals that Disney opposes and are unlikely to be approved. Shareholder advisory firm ISS and Glass-Lewis both support a proposal for an annual report disclosing Disney's lobbying practices and activities. ISS also supports a pro- proposal to make it easier for shareholders to nominate directors, removing the 3% minimum ownership rule currently in place. Now, Iger usually opens the meetings with some commentary on the health of the business. Last year, he revealed that Shanghai Disney had already drawn 8 million visitors, which was more than expected. This year, investors are likely hoping to hear about Iger's plan for Disney's $52 billion acquisition of Fox, and whether he plans to back Fox in making a higher offer for Sky. After just last week, Comcast, CNBC's parent company, outbid Fox's offer for European media giant Sky. Now, fans, of course, will also be listening for updates about favorite franchises. It was at this meeting a few years ago that Disney announced a Frozen sequel. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Julia, we'll be watching. Thank you, Julia Borson, in Los Angeles. Tim, you're a shareholder, right? Disney. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Do you want this deal to go through, the Fox deal? I, I think it's, uh,
5: you know what, I think they need to do something. And I think mm-hmm. the, the, the market applauded Disney's move. I think it's an aggressive move. They certainly are kind of going for it here. Stock's done nothing for three years. Um, on some level, you could argue that that's admirable with what's going on in the media sector, but you know, Rich Greenfield made a great point on our show a couple days ago. He said these guys couldn't be crushing the ball any better in terms of the studio. In other words, the comps are going to getting ridiculous, and the stock's doing nothing. Now, this is a company really who, who has a very diversified model, so they should be more resilient. When you look at Parks, uh, and when you look at what's going on in the consumer products division, these these areas are also connecting very high. So it's a company I'm comfortable owning, even in a media sector with question marks.
4: Yeah, Karen. I'm not really comfortable owning it. I mean, Rich made a very compelling case about them doing it. His, his idea was, you know what, they should just go all in on streaming, which I, I, I think that would be shocking which if that he doesn't came out of the media. Do. No. It, I no. don't think anybody. I think Tim hit on it. We have the media business, which obviously is such. A, it's so big, such a big part of their business. That The valuation on that, I don't know where that is, but I don't think it should be... I don't know. I don't think they deserve a premium multiple overall to the market because of the, what's happening in the media business. I agree. And, and what if
1: they have to raise their
4: bid?
3: For Sky? I think they're going to probably raise their bid for Sky because they need Sky from an earnings and free cash flow per share perspective. doesn't help them from a growth standpoint, but from an earnings and free cash flow standpoint, they need that. So uh,
2: I, I do think it goes into a bidding war. Whether they win or not is, is a coin toss. Karen said it. To me, it comes down to valuation. Disney deserves a premium valuation to its competitors. I agree, but do they deserve as much as they're getting? For example, CBS trades around 8.5, maybe closer to 9 times forward earnings. Disney's probably closer to 14. I mean, I think think CBS is too cheap. I think Disney's too expensive. And I think if they can earn close to $7.70 next year, Disney... I happen to think the right multiple of that is 13, which gets you either side of a $100 stock. So it's again, to Karen's point, it's not all that compelling to me right here. So
1: Disney goes up against Comcast. Let's say Comcast wins. What's your view of Disney, Tim?
5: Again, I, I think Disney does not have to do this deal. In fact, a lot of people have questioned whether they should do this deal, And, and even though the stock performed. So um, do they need more content? Do they really need to compete by adding Fox in, in, in an over-the-top business? No, I don't think they do. Um, one of the other things that I think was brought up the other day is they, they don't seem ready to offer out all their media through this medium. So in other words, get it all out there. They probably have a chance to succeed. But the broader business model for Disney is not one that I, I, I think – has to compete with, with Fox and Comcast. In other words, consumer products, theme parks, you know, that's a big part of the, the NBC Universal empire as well. Yeah. But, uh, but I think Disney is, is, is certainly recording uh, enormous growth in those areas. Would you rather? Oh, I like this
1: game. Mm. Mm. Comcast. Did, did you play it already or no? We did once. Oh, yeah. Comcast or? Disney.
2: Ah. Com- oh. I think Comcast. I think Disney's too expensive. I think given the choice between those two, yes, which is what the game.
3: essence of this is game one is, or the other. Comcast. Yeah. I, I <laughs> agree. agree. Com- right.
2: Comcast, no question.
1: Sticking with the Media Kings, Netflix is falling a bit today after a huge run this year. The options market betting on more pain ahead. So let's get out to Mike Co who's also in San Francisco. Come on, the parties out
5: there. there. San Francisco. Uh, to yeah, break it all down, this is where the this is where the the action is. So we did see uh, well above average options activity in Netflix, and that's notable because this is a name that trades quite a lot already, and it's a high dollar stock. So almost quarter million contracts overall, and the most active option were the weekly 310 puts. Over 8,100 of those were trading for an average of about two dollars. So buyers of those. Are making bearish bets that Netflix will drop below 310 by at least the two bucks that they paid, or below 308 by the end of the week. But of course, remember that only last Friday, this was a name that was trading below 290 at one point, and we made a bullish bet on options action on it. We paired that a little bit today. We tweeted it basically rolling those uh, 290 calls up to the 320s. I think you can take some profits here.
1: Are you worried about Netflix going into earnings, David?
3: Uh, I'm not. I think they're going to do very well into earnings. I'm not concerned about this at all. I think they can put their foot on the accelerator. We heard about Rita Hastings and what he said about the India opportunity for them. So I think Netflix is going to continue to win, and they're going to win on the sub game.
5: 70% year-to-date, Yeah,
3: it's up 70% I know. year-to-date. reminding you, it's up 70% year-to-date. I know.
1: I'm going to toss another one over the guy. Uh, don't make it a hard one, Would please. Would you rather? Oh, I like yeah. this game. Did I like this game. Comcast?
4: Comic Right, a value or in media for Netflix, in, which he's is a premium. has been on
2: Netflix a long time. Good for you. Netflix. All right. Bec- well, and Tim is right. I yeah. mean, the stock's been, and Stiefel just downgraded the stock on yeah. valuation, $325 price tag. They report, I think, in the middle of April, and I think the stock's going to continue to grind higher. Reed Hastings, who watches the show, stud.
1: Mike, good to see you. My co in San Francisco. Who is also a stud. Well, that goes without saying, right? Uh, For more options action, check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. All right. Coming up next, it is the interview that will break the Internet, and it hasn't even aired yet. Our own crypto baller, Brian Kelly, sits down with the CEO of one of the hottest cryptocurrencies out there, Ripple. And BK asks him a very pointed question about Coinbase. Plus, the ambassador himself. Stepping up to the plate, Tim Seymour says there is one under-the-radar tech stock that is up 80% in the past year. It's about to take off. He will tell us the name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay where we take a look back on previous calls. Now, back in September, Tim stepped up to the plate to pitch Anadarka.
5: This company now gets it, okay? This is not the end. This is the beginning of a new approach to running free cash flow positive, lower capex, lower growth, and a lot more conservative play for equity investors. I think you stay in this name.
1: Well, hopefully you took Tim's advice to stay in this name because Anadarko has rallied almost 20%
5: since his call. So Tim, what do you do now? And outperforming the sector a bit. What they did then was something that I think other people are starting to get the message on. It's why Exxon is selling off. They're playing for return for investors. They're giving capital back. They're playing to be profitable and free cash flow positive. I think it's a great company, best of both worlds, certainly high exposure to the sector. You got another pitch for us? I got another pitch. All right. Head over to the the plaza. This is what we do here. So I'm going to talk to you about a company from Russia, but it's a company that I think we probably all know. It's Yandex. It trades on the NASDAQ under the ticker YNDX. And at a time when people are chasing investments in kind of e-commerce and consumer and search globally, this is one of those very popular names. Again, this is the Google of Russia. So... You know, we kind of get that whole story. Their search business is, core, it's growing 25 to 30%, and you can imagine they're fighting off Google on their home turf, and they're winning also in other parts of the world. This is what's very exciting. Driverless Taxi, they've just actually, in the last couple weeks, combined their businesses with Uber in Russia. They now have the largest driverless taxi, the largest taxi business in Russia. It's a business that also leads them into delivery of food and all these other ancillary businesses that people are paying high premiums for companies in other parts of the world, like here. And this is the one that's doing it there and we will be doing it in other places. And again, when it comes down to it, it's cheaper than its global peers. So when I look forward at, at the chart, you know, I, I think you want to see a stock that's ultimately breaking out. It's a company that I think you have a, a, a dynamic here where if you think about... The e-commerce plays and the global ways to play technology, this is another one of these names. Obviously had a nice move that went kind of sideways. Then we had earnings here where we saw that profitability for this company is really starting to grow. They're growing 25 to 35 percent, which, again, puts them at a multiple at around 28 times for just the core business, not even the taxi business. And that's the one that's exciting. They might even IPO that in NASDAQ, but it's a name a lot of hedge funds own, and I think it's going higher. Karen's got a question, I think.
4: Yeah, Timmy, so how much of this movement in the stock is you're going to have Russia exposure, and how much is the underlying business, and how do you think about that?
5: I, I think it's more sector-specific, Karen, although Russia's really outperformed. Russia's up about 11 or 12%, outperforming many other markets, uh, mostly because I think that the fundamentals and the macro have improved with oil prices better. But this stock gets traded with a basket of peers that includes Baidu and Google and a lot of these global tech plays, and I frankly, I, I think that's why it's going higher.
1: You have a question?
5: Quick question. The, Thanks, one of the Guy. Concerns, hi, Tim. <laughs> <I> lo- love
2: <laughs> your hi. show. One of the concerns <laughs> I have that our investors have had is high debt to equity levels. They seem
5: to be paying down debt. Is that a concern for you? No, I think ultimately these guys are, are in a position where the balance sheet is giving them enough flexibility to do the deal with, with Uber. Um, I think it's a tech company. It's trying to grow. It's certainly not ever going to be one where they're giving cash back. So uh, I think the balance sheet is not hamstringing this company. Nice. There's only
1: one thing left mm-hmm. to do. Vote. It's Vote. Vote. So are you buying Tim's pitch on Yandex, <laughs> Karen?
4: I am. I am buying Look Tim's at you. pitch. Oh. Even though he was injured, did you see that elbow injury I know. Yeah. 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 still? I thought he made a compelling pitch. I thought valuation is not crazy, considering the growth and what they're doing. Sieber?
3: This is a very messy board, but I I would say I am a buyer of of Tim's call. I think it's a great call. I think, look, from a valuation perspective, even though this stock is up 83% over a one-year period, it is still a lot cheaper than its peers. That's why I'd stick with this one.
2: All right, I'm going to throw a little cold water, not because I don't like Tim, because my the technician hat in me says I would rather buy the breakout above 45. And as Tim will tell you, this stock traded up to 45 at the end of 2014 and failed miserably. Potentially about to do that again. I'd rather buy the breakout than to buy it here. I that's more than
5: my elbow. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm trying <laughs> to keep a shock. it real.
1: Two buys, one sell, this stuff. So does Tim's pitch have you running out to buy the stock? We should note the stock is up more than 3% after hours Whoa. since that pitch. So log into Twitter right now. Vote in our poll at CBC Fast Money. We'll reveal the results at the end of the show. Still ahead, it is the interview that set the crypto world on fire. The CEO of Ripple, Brad Garlinghouse, sits down for a rare talk with our own Brian Kelly. And you will not believe what he said about getting added to Coinbase's platform. Yes, Twitter, it is real is spectacular. It is next, we promise. You're watching Fast Money live from snowy Times Square in New York City. We've got much more right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Now, yesterday we had our very special Fasco's crypto share. We spoke to some of the biggest names in the space, but because of breaking news out of the White House, we didn't get to our interview with Ripple CEO Brad Garlinghouse, and that sparked absolute outrage all over Twitter or what we like to call the Ripple effect. Well, luckily, our own Brian Kelly was able to sit down with Garlinghouse after the show, and he asked him about Ripple being Wall Street's favorite crypto. Here's what he had to say.
9: Early on, Ripple, the company, took the point of view of, look, how do we use XRP to solve an institutional use case? Our goal hasn't been to go out and curry favor with the speculators, it's really been to solve a big problem around how payments flow cross-border for banks, for payment providers. We've been very fortunate by focusing on that segment and signing up really over 100 customers now, ranging from some of the largest banks in the world to small banks. But I think Wall Street has responded because people, I think, recognize, at the end of the day, any digital asset is only as valuable as the problem it's solving. And if it's just speculative over the long term, that's not gonna work out well.
7: So, but how have you got Wall Street executives comfortable because you have a lot of prominent Wall Street people saying, or firms saying, you can't buy Bitcoin and they're saying Bitcoin specifically, but it's still a digital currency. How do you get them comfortable with that? Saying, you know what, use this digital currency, not Bitcoin, because this one's okay. You know, I think it's incredibly important that the whole
9: industry recognize that we have to work with the regulators. We have to work with the system. I've been fond of saying, the blockchain revolution is happening from within the system, it's not going to happen from outside the system. There's some in the Bitcoin community that have really advocated kind of, you know, not just down with banks, but down with governments. And we have been a contrarian, relatively speaking, in that regard. And so I think when we think about an XRP flow and solving that institutional money flow where we've, we've announced pilots with Western Union and MoneyGram. All of those transactions are happening through a registered financial institution, to a registered financial institution, where there's a KYC, something called a KYC check, know your customer. Every financial transaction is through a regulated endpoint. And so, when regulators hear that and they understand, they're like, oh, so you're not circumventing regulations. You're not trying to enable anonymous transactions. And I think that's incredibly important for the world to understand that, like, to the extent there's concern, regulatory concerns about digital assets, not all assets are created the same and we should understand what the differences are.
7: So, all right, so part of that is, um, you know, people have called Ripple the more centralized currency, right, yep. um, for various technical reasons, but is that something that gets Wall Street more comfortable, the fact that you, you, the, you, the company, have more control over the currency than maybe a completely open source, something like Bitcoin?
9: Well, I, I think you know, Ripple is a centralized company investing on top of a decentralized technology called the XRP ledger. And so, that part is decentralized, but I think it has given us an advantage where we have this strategic asset, we have $60 billion worth of XRP, and we can use that as an asset to invest in the XRP ecosystem. There's no party more interested in the success of the XRP ecosystem than Ripple. We want that to be massively successful because we own a lot of XRP. So it gives us an opportunity to invest in that, and we've invested in venture funds, we've invested in hedge funds, we've invested in companies. And we've also partnered with payment providers, we've partnered with market makers in order to make sure that XRP is the most useful digital asset out there for solving a cross-border
7: payments problem. So that so that that brings up the question of, if you're partnering with some of the premier players in the space and you want XRP, the currency, to do well because you hold some, how important is partnering with somebody like Coinbase, who is effectively now the kingmaker of coins, how important would it be to get a listing there? Well, you know,
9: there are obviously uh, probably over 100 exchanges around the world. Uh, Coinbase is one that obviously has a lot of success. You know, when we, we XRP is listed at over 60 exchanges around the world today, the the liquidity between fiat and XRP is very important to us. You think about solving a payments problem. We want to make sure there's good liquidity between lots of fiat, whether it's Mexican peso, the Philippine peso, the U.S. dollar. Today, we have liquidity with the U.S. dollar through uh, exchanges like Bitstamp and Kraken. And we want to obviously continue to see that grow because we want to make sure XRP is the most liquid. Now, as it relates to Coinbase specifically, you know, Coinbase will have to decide what they want to do and make the announcements that are appropriate for them. But we certainly don't comment on, you know, status of those kinds of things. Let's bring BK
1: back in. He is in front of uh, apparently the Golden Gate Bridge.
7: Uh, (laughs) The Bay Bridge. So Um, people were paying attention. I know, people were paying attention. That was BK's little joke.
1: So Garlinghouse is very diplomatic about whether or not he would be added to Coinbase. He said it's up to Coinbase. What do you think, BK? What's the next logical coin to be added?
7: I mean, certainly certainly, Ripple is probably one of those. Ripple, Stellar uh, are one of those. I don't have any special insight. Uh, but, you know, Coinbase is a strategic partner for most coins out there. And, you know, Ripple is a currency. Uh, I, I don't think, and I'm not a lawyer, but I don't think you can argue that it's uh, necessarily security at all. So it would be a natural step for them to do that. Uh, So I would say Ripple or Stellar would be my odds-on favorite to be the next one uh, to be put on Coinbase. The other thing you got to remember is, you know, Coinbase is being very thoughtful about what they're doing. They're trying to be the safest and simplest exchange. This is what we heard uh, from their CEO yesterday. And so (coughs) they're going to be deliberate about it. Uh, They are going to make sure that everything that goes on there is a high-quality asset, and they've done their due diligence.
1: We should actually know, too, and before we move on from this topic, that Ripple had actually gone up in value, or XRP had gone up in value on this notion that we were going to be speaking to Garlinghouse and Asif Hirji on Fast Money on our our crypto show yesterday because people thought that was a surefire way of telling that Ripple was going to be listed on Coinbase, which didn't happen, and that right now Coinbase is facing a shareholder lawsuit surrounding the circumstances of the BCH rise, the Bitcoin cash rise, ahead of it being added to the platform. So this is why we're we're really talking about this and, and Coinbase is being extra careful about how they tell the world which coin they're going to list. But Sebring's got a question. Exactly,
3: hey, BK, it's, it's DSBK. A uh, question on Ripple. I, like, <laughs> Ripple's uh, coin is not correlated to transactions, right? Whereas Stellar is correlated to transactions, a true decentralized platform where you have adoption really driving the value of the coin. So do you look at Ripple and say that is concerning to you over the long term? Wouldn't you prefer to own a, a coin like Stellar that, that, that gives you that sort of, you know, really true decentralized sort of platform?
7: Well, I own both. Uh, for two different reasons. They've kind of taken, first of all, the the, the Stellar and Ripple uh, platform are very, very similar, developed by the same people, essentially. Uh, And they've since split, and they're developing differently. But uh, what I would say about Ripple, that has been a concern about Ripple, that you don't necessarily need the Ripple currency to operate the first product that they uh, released, which was essentially going after SWIFT interbank global payments. Now they have other products that they're announcing that you actually do use the currency for. And so that, to me, is the game-changing piece for Ripple because it does say, you know what, if these products take off, and they're very early stages, they're just trials, but if they take off, mm-hmm. then the currency is going to be an integral part of it.
1: Right. Beeks, good to see you.
7: It's good enjoy, to see you all Enjoy as well. the Golden Gate Bridge. the Bay Bridge. <laughs> Bridge. <Yeah. laughs> the Bay Bridge.
1: All right, Beeks, thank you. Our end, um, bye. We should note bye. <laughs> Are you out there buying Tim's pitch for Yandex? Well, you know, in the after hour session, you know what the stock's doing? It's up about 3%. No. There is still time to vote in our 2.5% right now. Still time to vote in our Twitter poll. Head to CNBC Fast Money. Kind of Weigh in. Results right after this, as well as the final trades. Stay tuned. Welcome back. You know what's huge in Russia? Tony Braxton, <laughs> unbreak my heart. It still pulls at the hearts of young Bolsheviks all over uh, Russia, and maybe Tim's too because he lost his pitch by a large margin. Seventy percent said Whoa. no, Tim.
5: So, right. That's so correct. Yes, eighteen times. But, I mean. right. Which means maybe I need to listen to it twice. Someone argued that I, I <laughs> yeah. wanted to lose because for this final trade, that. Tim. Tony. Final I'm trade. Gonna, I'm gonna. File on myself and pick uh, Yandex for
4: my final trade. Yeah. Dollar Tree was down a lot. Call wasn't great though. Don't jump in. Wait, wait, wait. 32.
5: Buy
3: the heck out of Ethereum here. I love these protocol layer tokens. <laughs> proud of herself. With real enterprise
2: value, buy Ethereum. <laughs> AMD there, Melms.
3: Back All right, to you. See
1: you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money starts right now.
6: What's on the horizon for financial markets?